0: The following podcast features two friends discussing their shared love of everything Manchester United. With that in mind, we must warn you that there may be a sprinkling of adult language throughout. If that isn't your cup of tea, then possibly this podcast may not be for you. Well, either that, or you might be a Liverpool fan. Let's get this podcast started.
1: Welcome to Fans United Podcast. I'm Graham Woodcock. And I'm Chris Henning. Join us as we take a journey into our own personal memories of Manchester United and share their significant importance in our lives growing up in Banbridge, Northern Ireland.
0: Episode so two, episode we've two. made it. <laughs> we have made we've it. We've made it. What are we going to discuss in this
1: episode? Well, from our discussions last week, we're going to be discussing our ten Players that we personally think were well, underrated, underappreciated, maybe a little unloved. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know, one of mine was for quite a period of time.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, no, that that's good. Before we before we get into it, um, how have you been since last episode? Uh, I know we're recording this on Monday night, so we saw the game last night against Newcastle. Um, what did what did you think? I thought personally, I thought first half was was poor, sluggish, but I was the second half was a, a marked improvement. A three one victory, I think more than deserved that. And uh, now more than anything, it's it's getting the result. The, you want a good performance, but we got the three points, which was vital. Well,
1: I didn't see the um, the entire game. I saw the first two goals. And then I had to wait until match of the day to see the rest. Um, I'm happy enough with the result, to be honest. At, this, at the business end of the season, you, you really need your team to be picking up results. I'm, I'm not Yeah, definitely. Um, overly concerned about how, again, we started slow. I think we now just have to accept that in certain games, we start slow. I mean, at the end of the day, we, the thing that always stood out for me with the United teams of the past was even when we weren't playing at our best players worked and yeah. worked hard for the shirt and certainly the likes of rashford and uh, it was good to see james doing
0: that as well yes two games i think haven't having two games in a row good games will give him confidence
1: i think i think maybe people have been a bit too hard on daniel james i'm not too sure what people expected him to be when we signed him i mean he Coming from the championship to a Premier League club, one that has been in a period of transition, a bit longer than we would have all liked. But I think we I think maybe people have been a bit harsh with him.
0: Yeah, no, but I'm I'm like I'm like you. You know, it's 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 the business end of the season. Um and the most important thing is a result. You could look at negatives, but you know, every other club supporters <laughs> in the country are going to do that. So I think I'm trying to look at the at the positives. It's, it's good to see, you know, not playing well, still getting a result. You know, we, we went through a bit of a, a patch there where we weren't doing that. But I think scoring the first goal and then equalising to st- still come back and then score another, another two goals. The second half was a, a, a definite improvement in performance. And I'll happily take the three points, move on, nicely set up for hopefully – Playing the kids in the European game on Thursday for a tough game against Chelsea next week. I would like, I would like to see that, but within
1: reason because uh, we don't want to we don't want to ruin our chances too much by putting out a team that uh, hasn't gelled. I mean, oh yes, we need to be professional at the same time. But you're right. I mean, I'm I'm trying to stay I'm trying to stay positive. This week has been a bit more positive than prior weeks. I Think the fact that. Well, uh, Emma's been off, and we've been able to spend a lot more time with with Margot together, so that's that's always a, a good thing, as um, usually Emma's working all the yeah. time. Um, and apart from, apart from a couple of days where some bad reactions to my medication, uh, not, not too bad, not too bad a week.
0: And it helps that uh, United are playing well, because <laughs> I know how that can affect my mood. I, I have to say it definitely does help. I mean, there were plenty of
1: times under Mourinho, certainly in the last second season and, uh, and the start of season three, where watching the games really were affecting my mood and made me want to walk into the kitchen to cut an apple in half and watch it brown.
0: <laughs> <laughs> On that, you just mentioned, Mourinho, you, you reminded me, I was speaking to some clients today who are Spurs fans, um, and uh, they sent me an email. Um, we had sort, of, sort of started... Uh, uh, chatting sort of around Christmas time, and then they've, they've recontacted me again because they're looking to sort of proceed. And uh, I didn't have to ring them; I could email. I could have emailed them back, but uh, I wanted to ring them. And I told them, "I want to you just have a hearty chuckle that we told you, <laughs> uh, we told you what he was like." And uh, she was she was in stitches. I mean,
1: it must be difficult, especially. Especially when you're sold on uh, someone like Mourinho, especially, and we we went through it. I mean, we had, we had the full Jose Mourinho PR campaign of he's a much diff- he's a much happier person, he's different, he's changed, um, he brings titles, which yes he does, but it it does come at a cost. I mean, Stephen uh, Stephen McCauley, he, yeah, he's a Chelsea fan, he, he's had Mourinho twice, and each time he was he was he was happy. That um, the histrionics of a Mourinho, a toxic uh, histrionics of Mourinho, were, were gone from the yeah. Clear.
0: I think especially the second time with Chelsea. The first time, he was you know it. it he was a breath of fresh air in the Premier League. He came in. Mm. You know, we all know the special one uh, interview um, press conference. It, he was. Towards the end, obviously it sore. but the second time round, it definitely did sore. I think the uh, incident with the, the physio, he sort of changed. You know, since he, the first time round, he had been to, to Italy, it was successful. I think Madrid took a lot. Took a lot out of him, and he, he definitely hasn't been the same manager since. But look, we're talking about Mourinho. Let's not let's not talk about Mourinho. <laughs> he should be Voldemort, though. He who shall shall not be named. But look, we'll get stuck in. We'll get stuck into this week's episode mentioned at the start. Are players who we think are underrated. Uh, we'll go through our list of five each. Five each. So five from me and, and five from yourself. Um, I'm going to start off with a player who I think we both uh, appreciate, but I think does he get the credit he deserves? And my first player is Park Ji Sung. Yeah. So with Park, for the the first and foremost where I will sort of start off with him is you've got the, the the obvious things like his exceptional fitness. He like he covered every single blade of grass in in, in a match. His work ethic, he's a, a model professional. You know, he, There was never anything uh, about him off the pitch or anything. He did his job and he did it exceptionally well. His off-the-ball movement, Sir Alex Ferguson trusted him every single time they played Barcelona. Mm. He man-marked Messi every single game. Now, Ma- Messi is probably the greatest player to ever play the game, so... He, Obviously, he wasn't successful every single time, but I was very, very fortunate to be at the 2008 semi-final at Old Trafford, where we won one 0 and he marked him out of that game. Messi didn't have a
1: sniff. I, re- I remember watching that game, game in the front bar with uh, Fry and Whiteside and the boys. That was when the front bar, you know, you, you remember those sofas where you know, oh, yes, yeah, Fry <laughs> just created a little fort in front of the te- in front of the television. Um, <laughs> yes. You know. Rearrange the furniture. Rearranging the, in the furniture. But I, I loved watching Juicy Park play. I, I just thought he was he was the perfect workhorse for the team. And you're right. He, all he always seemed to be available when he had the ball. He always seemed to have time. He was calm, collected. He distributed the ball very well. But he was he was always in the he always seemed to be in the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah, and and players like that who can find space almost all the time, they're, they're a, a rarity. Now, I had a look, I did a bit of research into this. So he played uh, 204 times for the club. He scored 28 goals and he had 29 assists. Now, he played a total of 12,796 minutes. So when he calculated the minutes into, into games, he scored a goal every five ga- games approximately, but it was a goal or an assist every 2.49 games. Now, compare that to... An absolute midfield stalwart. Paul Scholes, who you think is one of Manchester United's greatest ever midfielders. Uh, he had 710 appearances, 152 goals, and 73 assists. So his he scored a goal every 3.75 games. So he scored more often, but a goal or an assist is 2.53 games. So Park actually had a, a better return in, in that aspect. And I just I just think he he doesn't get the recognition he deserves for selflessly putting himself before the club every single time he stepped on the pitch I would agree I mean I would agree I mean I've always rated him
1: Who's first on on your list? Well my first the first player on my list um, I think when we were talking last week about underrated players and we decided this would be the list first name that popped into my head was um, Ronnie Johnson.
0: Oh Yeah a great he made shot.
1: 150 appearances for the club, nine goals. In the six seasons he was involved at the club, he was only booked 11 times.
0: <laughs> that's not bad which, for a
1: centre-back. Which, when you think about it, uh, well, for a centre-back, I mean, he occasionally played midfield as well. But that's, that's a cracking record. 11 times, no red cards whatsoever part of four Premier League title wins, an FA Cup, Champions League, two charity shields, which we now know are very important because Mancini, Pep and Jose declared them to be. <laughs> and I saw this, this was on this was on manunited.com. He is one of five players to start all three of the trophy-nabbing deciders at
0: the climax of the treble season. Well, that just shows you that Ferguson had the, the utmost trust in him because Ferguson would not be playing players... If he was a little bit iffy about, you know, and and to, to play those games just showed you just how important Fergie saw him.
1: Uh, absolutely, uh, he was a very, and the funny thing is, he was a very calm but a very physical player. And I found that stat, the stat of only eleven bookings, quite spectacular. Really, when you think about how defenders, I mean, I, I can't think of a defender that's played as many games as he did um, over over the course of the seasons. I mean, I know, I know after our treble winning season. He didn't play much in the in the next season because of uh, because of injury. I, I know he he stated on the United podcast last year when he was being interviewed that he had struggled with jumper's knee and it was incredibly painful. Okay. And in the 98-99 season they were doing everything they could to get him through. So Alex Ferguson was and the coaching staff and himself were trying to balance it, but it was he, he did say it was so bad and I'm quoting here, it was so bad my patella tendons were so inflamed that they had to remove a third of them in both knees. Oh, that is grim. So that's a grim operation to have. It's not surprising that he uh, he didn't play, he didn't play much the next season. I think he played. I think he played in the very final. He played three times
0: the next season. Yeah, obviously that that, that that the treble season obviously
1: really took it out of him. In only playing three times, he earned the distinction of being a player who managed in four consecutive games to win a title in each. <laughs> so he had played in the title decider for uh, the Premier League, the FA Cup, and the Champions League in the treble-winning season. And then jump forward a year, he played in the uh, title clincher against Tottenham Hotspur that clinched that title. And he couldn't, obviously, he couldn't get a winner's medal because he'd only played three times. So they they had to ask for a special dispensation, similar to the one that they applied and, and gained for Dion Dublin about
0: seven years earlier. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, just actually, as you mentioned uh, Ronnie Johnson is your, your first um, on our Instagram page, Fans United podcast, local poet Colin Hazard. Uh, he agrees with you and um, we put a call out just for for some fan reactions and uh, Colin said people always go on about Yapstam but Ronnie Janssen was quality so there's someone that definitely agrees with you well thank you very much i mean Yapstam i think Yapstam gets a lot of the credit because he
1: looks like the kind he looks like the kind of person who would have destroyed your grandmother your partner's <laughs> grandmother at least five other people you know's grandmothers just to win the ball, and that was just in training. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think Yapstam gets it because he was very much um, this archaic notion of of what a what a, a man's man defender was, which was scary yeah. looking and would you know plow right through. So
0: Yapstam's song is Yapstam's, the big Dutch man. Exactly.
1: Whereas Ronnie Johnson looked like the kind of person who would um, you know steal from you, but uh, take you out for a cup of tea after. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, that's, um, that's two down. Uh, on to the third one, my second. Now, this one, bear with me, uh, because some people think that he's not underrated. <laughs> he's not underrated. But my second uh, choice is Edwin van der Sar. So, hold on, hold on. Edwin van der Sar, who is one of the
1: greatest goalkeepers we've ever had.
0: Yes. Now, I did say bear with me. Where I mean by that is... Every single time there's a conversation about the best ever Manchester United team, it's Peter Schmeichel automatically, without thought.
1: Yes, I I would agree that that is often the case. I think I did a list recently uh, in lockdown one. Mark Jardine and Stephen McCauley and myself, we were doing lists uh, every weekend. Do a list and then on the Saturday or the Sunday have a video call and go through the list. And, you know, one of them was... Favorite players in certain positions uh, for your club in your lifetime, and Van der Sar. Van der Sar for me was the best goalkeeper we've ever had, in my opinion. I, I love Peter Schmeichel. Don't get me wrong. So I, so for me, your choice is a bit strange, but um, go ahead.
0: So yeah, it's it, and again, I did. It, it's a bear with you. What I mean, it's sort of underrated is. I just think it's a closer argument, Peter Schmeichel and Van der Sar, than people give credit to. So if you look at Van der Sar's. Stats: He won ten major trophies with us, with four leagues and one Euro Cup. Uh, one, sorry, one Champions League. Uh, Schmeichel was fifteen major trophies. It was five leagues and one year, European Cup. So he won a league more. Now the 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 the, the detailed stats is: Edwin van der Star had two hundred sixty six appearances, two hundred and two goals conceded, with one hundred thirty five clean sheets. So he conceded the goal on average every one point three games. So Schmeichel played more games. 365 appearances with 302 goals conceded and 164 clean sheets. And he was conceded a goal every 1.2 games. So it's it's very close in regards to their goals conceded per game. The, where I'm coming from as well, could you argue that Schmeichel played for a United team who were streets ahead of the rest? And when van der Sar came into the United team, the rest of the teams had, had caught up. Would that be a fair comment? Um, I'm not too sure. I mean,
1: we are talking about the same United team in defence that allowed Philippe Albert to score against them. So I'm not sure if you can make that argument. For me personally, I mean, uh, there was the back four, you know, the back four being uh, Paul Parker, Dennis Irvin on either side, yeah. and Bruce and Pallister. And Schmeichel was sort of the last piece of that puzzle, yeah, if you will, so I... I don't know I don't know if I can give you that one (laughs) Van der Sar did have Vidic and Ferdinand so yeah that it's I mean I see where you're going
0: I'm just where I was coming from that is the United team ahead of the other teams Mm. so when the Premier League started that sort of era United dominated whereas I don't think in Van der Sar's period I think the rest of the teams had caught up With United's level of of playing, whereas at the start, I think United, I I remember watching United games and the question was how many United going to win by in the early days of the Premier League? Because you knew they were going to win. It was just how many they were going to win by.
1: I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, you're I, not giving I, I me this, think, are you? I don't think I can. I don't think I really can, to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm thinking about the Schmeichel years. Of course, Arsenal, the uh, the greater Arsenal sides of the Wenger era.
0: But in saying that,
1: that was that that was after that was after Schmeichel was there. Like they only won one league title. I I I, I can see your point. I can see your point that teams had started to catch up because of uh, more money into the game. Um, Due to the TV deals becoming more, uh, more and more absurd. And, yeah, uh, of course, new owners bringing new investment, um, and the Champions League, you know, becoming a top four thing as well, which means more investment in teams. So, like, I can, I can see where you're coming from there. But at the same yeah, time, yeah. United still had the clout and the power to stay ahead of the game. In that, in, in that regard. So I'm not, I, I don't, I, 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 I see, what, I do see where you're coming from. I personally okay, well, just don't think Edwin Van der Sar is under is is underrated.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I did, I did think it was a bit of a stretch. Not underrated, maybe. I just think, I think, under, I think, just think where it was coming from is yeah. it's immediately a, a cast iron guarantee yeah. Schmeichel is the best goalkeeper United's ever had, in most people's arguments. I just sort of think that van der Sar probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Maybe that's the angle I'm coming at. I can definitely see where you're coming from. Okay, well, I, I'll,
1: I'll take that. It's good because that's all you're getting. <laughs> I will be honest, I nearly had Mark Bosnich in this list, to be honest. <laughs> Mark Bosnich gets a, gets a bad rep, really. I mean, he played, what, 30, I think it was 35 times. He conceded about 30-odd goals, but kept about 14 clean sheets. They won the title that yeah. season, and, uh, and that was the season where Raymond, uh, Raymond van der Howe and Massimo Taibbi were brought in as well and played a couple of games during it, and Ferguson said he was the worst professional he's ever seen. For, for someone who didn't like to train, he, he, did pretty, he did pretty all right for himself in, the, in that season.
0: Uh, yeah, he did. He did okay. So who's your second on your list then?
1: My next one on my list? Um, well, I, th- I think he's underrated because I don't, I don't mind anyone ever putting him in, in, in their favourites teams or he's not talked about the same, certainly in the same uh, breath as, the, as, as other defenders. But um, he made 361 appearances for the club, scored five goals, nine assists, 39 yellow cards, two of which resulted in an early shower. He appeared at right-back, centre-back, and it's Wes Brown. Oh, that's a good shout. I think Wes Brown doesn't get credit as he deserves. I mean, he's, he had that breakthrough season in 98-99, played an important part of our treble-winning season. Yeah. Uh, in 99-2000, he sadly got what would end up being the first of a string of injuries, and he didn't play a competitive game that season. So much like Ronnie Johnson, you know, he, an injury kept him out of the next of the next year. His comeback uh, was praised for being uh, exceedingly solid uh, the next three seasons. But he then ended up tearing his knee ligament on the final day of the 2002-2003 season, um, and he wouldn't return until midway through the 2003-2004. I certainly remember he played a man-of-the-match performance against Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final win of, um, of the 03-04 campaign. Yeah. So he always had the quality, but he, he had an indomitable will. I mean, the amount of injuries he kept sustaining and kept coming back, fighting for, the, for his place, fighting for the shirt... And we, we always praise Rio Ferdinand for being very assured on the ball. So was Wes Brown. But, but then, sadly, not, well, not sadly, uh, but United did sign Viditch in 2006 and formed that partnership with Ferdinand. And so that, along with more injury problems, he couldn't really, couldn't really get a starting spot yeah. until 2007, 2008. He established himself as our first-choice right-back. And he ended that season, of course, assisting
0: Ronaldo's goal in the 2008
1: Champions League final.
0: I was just going to say that, you know, some people forget that, but he provided that assist. Very rarely. When he was playing, he very
1: rarely put a foot wrong for the club. And he always oozed this class, this quality, this calm
0: authority when he played. He's he's one of these players who, unfortunately due to injury, he didn't kneel down a centre-back position. He didn't kneel down a right-back position. You know, someone that played, you know, 200, 300, 400 consistently obviously injuries dogged him his whole career but I would agree with you he always fought for the shirt he was a great professional always asked or did what he was asked by the manager never threw a hissy fit someone who always put the club before himself and he had one of the best songs we've ever had was it move 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 No, we love Wesley Brown. We love Wesley Brown. We love Wesley. We love Wesley. We love Wesley Brown. Uh, See, it's the simple ones that are the best. Exactly. But that I I would definitely agree I'm not going to be as harsh as you, and I definitely would will give you that one. Um in your underrated players. But moving on to my third is along the same vein as that. It's another defender who played right back for the club, 121 appearances, three league titles, two FA Cups, one League Cup, and three charity shields. This one's more of a personal choice, but my third choice is Paul Parker. Definitely overshadowed by the emergence of Gary Neville. Yes. I think for me, he's a bit like Dennis Irwin. Did his job, no fuss, dependable. A bit like Wes Brown. Injury cut short his career with United... And his his career on the whole. And as you mentioned there, just the emergence of Neville and the, the, the youth players coming mm. through. You know, unfortunately, football is a cutthroat business. That sort of was the start of moving him out of the club. But mm. you, you just knew what you were going to get with with Paul Parker. Again, it'll probably stem back to we talked about in the first episode, you know, your first memories. Paul Parker was, you know, the first one of the first players. Who I I can remember. And I even got his autograph, I think, when I was 10. Yeah, I got his autograph. Uh, But he he was just Mr. Dependable. He was no nonsense. And again, unfortunately, just due to injury and emergence of of the younger players, you know, that sort of spelled the end of his career.
1: Hmm. Do you think as well that he suffered somewhat by the change? of the way the right-back and left-back roles were being interpreted. Yeah. Because he was, as you say, he was no-nonsense. He was a no-nonsense right-back. His job was to defend. That was it. If he crossed the halfway line... And, and he, he got a nosebleed. He, exactly. The English game especially was changing because of, uh, because of that. Although, saying that, my, my strongest memories of Paul Parker are Italian ninety. Where he played right wing back in the England side because because Bobby Robson had um, changed he changed he changed the system to three to um, three centre backs one being a sweeper in Mark right and uh, two two wing backs and at the time I think the press eviscerated Bobby Robson because this wasn't the English way the English way was four four two,
0: I uh, yes no I, re- I remember actually he did play in Italia ninety in that, that position but again if you go going back to what you asked with football changing I definitely do think that's something to do with it because Ferguson had, had had breathed life and reinvigorated the youth system at at Manchester United so he has these players coming through in the the mould that he wanted the style that he wanted to play with obviously knowing he's going to move him into the first team and unfortunately I think Paul Parker was a just a victim of that
1: yeah I mean I, I would agree with that I'm um, do you remember? Do you remember that season when? On well, I certainly remember, on CFAX it was announced that uh, <laughs> that United were letting go Kanchelskis, Hughes,
0: and uh, Paul Lintz Yes, make
1: way for the class of ninety two.
0: You can just imagine if that had happened in the era we live now of social media,
1: it would have been chaos.
0: Yeah, because that was that was massive back then. Just now, if you had. 24-hour news. Perhaps you couldn't. You couldn't go anywhere without it being somewhere. But now, Paul Park is a very good shout. My um, my next player. I'm
1: going to go with a man who made 394 appearances for the club, scoring 15 goals, 23 assists, 20 yellow cards, and no reds, which was quite impressive. Mm-hmm. This man played left. He played right. He played in the defence. He played in the midfield. He played up front. He even had an appearance in goal. You know, if we ask him, he probably he could probably play our director of football due to his sheer <laughs> versatility. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me that throughout his career and even now, there are contractors saying we have a hole to fill. Could you come and fill it? And it's John O'Shea. Ah,
0: oh, John O'Shea, John the Cat O'Shea. Being in the front bar with
1: you and Brian and uh, and the guys, hearing people almost groaning when they saw John O'Shea's number coming up. But he had a very good career, and he was he was very dependable, let's be honest. He had a very good career. He was literally the ultimate utility player. If there was a gap in the team that needed filled, John O'Shea was the one filling it. The next season, he played he was essentially taking over from Rio Ferdinand due to his missed drugs test. Oh, yeah, I remember that. The next season after that, his form was somewhat indifferent, to the point where people were saying he was going to be moving on because he wasn't good enough at United. He was even linked with Newcastle and Liverpool.
0: Yeah, that definitely wouldn't have happened. I mean, you know,
1: cracky, look look at what we did to Gabriel Heinze. <laughs> but my me- my, see, my memory of that season was, yes, he wasn't at his best, but he did chip Almunia from the edge of the 18-yard box in a 4-2 away victory against Arsenal.
0: I was going to say that, because I think now when you look back at football, when you get older, it's about the, the individual moments that you remember. And that was an absolutely cracking goal.
1: That was a goal, that if it was Wayne Rooney, we, had, we would be seeing it on replays all the time.
0: Yes, definitely agree with that. But because
1: it's John O'Shea, it takes a, a very English-sounding Banbridge fella <laughs> on a podcast, which hopefully more than four people have listened to. Yes, well, we're at 29 listen- listeners. What? Well, we, we've broken the four. i I'm, I'm happy yeah, that. We have indeed. Um, The next season, again, he played mostly at right-back because Gary Neville was injured. And it was that season, of course, he, amongst another player that I'm going to mention in a a moment, uh, was the subject of the infamous Roy Keane rant. Yeah. Then the next season, he deputised for van der Sar. And and the funny thing was he denied Robbie Keane a goal in the last few minutes of the game, and it led to chance of uh, John O'Shea, Ireland's number one. (laughs) And the other, and the other memory I have of John O'Shea is he scored that brilliant stoppage time winner against Liverpool at the ever windy Anfield.
0: Oh yes, the uh,
1: the, lo- the long grass. Yeah, the long grass, and and the I mean the stadium's got an awful lot of wind, uh, from what I hear. But what people forget about that goal that he scored that was that was crucial for our title charge for that season.
0: I, I think you've, yeah, when you mentioned that the the importance of that goal, is lost in it. Because at that point, it was it, it was a bit like we we're talking about at the start of this podcast. It was get a result. Even every time that you played Liverpool, it's get a result. Yeah. It doesn't have to be pretty. It's just get a result. And I think, you know, the, the famous story of Gary Neville ran and shouted at them, that's my childhood dream come true. You know, when we, you, we you've been, and I think those victories are even better. You've been absolutely battered for 90 minutes. Like we were under the cosh. To then steal it, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.
1: John O'Shea's legacy united it is hampered somewhat by the sheer fact that he was a utility player, but we should be celebrating that definitely. And
0: he not made Figo. I was going, I was going to say that two thousand and three. You know, these moments, you know, will we, we'll, will live on. Not and Figo, the goal against Arsenal. But I think you're right because. With a few of these players that are sort of, who maybe we think are, are forgotten about, they're the, they're the selfless players who hmm. will hamper themselves. If they're asked to do a job, they'll do a job. Hmm. Why not follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter? Search for Fans United Podcast. Well, that brings us to my fourth. So who is, it, who is your fourth? So my fourth player is a striker who played 274 times for the club. He scored 121 goals and 44 assists, and his name is Andy Cole. How many goals did he score again? 121. 21. I thought he scored... While, I've always thought he scored more Well he did score more for the other Clubs that he uh, had played for He's actually the third highest goal scorer In the Premier League yeah. So I'll give you a bit of context as a wide I think he's underrated With his minutes played And his appearances and his goals He scored 1.87 goals Per you know, per every time Hold on let me do that again <laughs> So he's so so Andy Cole. I'm
1: trying to say is he's yeah. <laughs> so what to give to you say is he scored and, and
0: when he scored, shut up. So to give a little bit of context as to why I think Andy Cole is underrated, he scored a goal every 1.87 games and his goal/slash assist ratio was 1.37. So when you look at the five top strikers in my mm-hmm. lifetime. That have played for United, mm. Sheringham, Cole, Rooney, Rude Van Nistelrooy, and Cantona. He's only second in the goals per game behind Rude, who was lethal at 1.31. Mm.
1: When
0: you say one point three when you say one point three one with Rude, do you mean yards? <laughs> yes, that's a fair point. He scored a goal every 1.31 games, which is lethal. But I just think when you when you say to anybody, you know. The best strikers that have played for Manchester United. I just don't think Andy Cole ever is mentioned.
1: I, I would agree with that. I, I agree. I agree that people don't usually mention him. I think. I think Andy had it had it difficult as well because he had come he had come to United off the back of an absolutely blistering season with Newcastle. He scored something like fifty goals that season. Yeah, it was it was astonishing amount of goals. But when he came to United, I think his first season he I wouldn't say he struggled, but I think it was because he had to suddenly do more in the game. Yes. Definitely he was lethal as a goal scorer, but he it was almost like he had to learn how to play football. I mean, that's a that's a harsher way of saying of, of saying what I'm trying to say. I mean, he, he obviously knew how to play football, but he had to do an awful lot more, he had more responsibilities.
0: I definitely agree with that because he had a player in Beardsley at Newcastle who spoon fed him everything, which is great. That's that's fine, but at United he was expected to do more. I, I do remember that first season mm. it was a bit of a not a baptism of fire but he wasn't banging in 40 goals a season you're thinking mm, what's going on here but no. he, to, to then go to a position where he is only second you know behind Bruno van Nistelrooy in his sort of goals per game you know that that's that's impressive yeah. you know ahead of you know Teddy Sheringham Rooney who is the, the club's top scorer and Cantona who is Le God, Hmm. I just, I just think, I just think he seems to be the forgotten man behind the likes of of those players. Now, he, he didn't do too bad at the club: five leagues, two FA Cups, and a an European Cup. But I also stumbled upon this stat, which I hadn't a clue. He won two charity shields with Arsenal in 1991 and 1992.
1: Yes, I remember that.
0: Did not know that at all. People do forget about that. And his his strike partnership
1: with Dwight York is, for my money, one of the best strike partnerships we've ever had. Definitely, 100%. My next one is another man who I don't think he was loved nearly enough until the latter parts of his United career. He made 342 appearances for the club, 24 goals, 29 assists, 25 yellows, six of which sent him to the shower, and one red card. And this is a man whom Mark Jardine hated for such a long while, so much so that I personally nicknamed him, I'd loudly would proclaim every time his number came up, here he comes, the Scottish Ronaldo. (laughs) And it's Darren Fletcher, young lad who, you know, from the youth ranks climbed up to fight for the shirt. And I didn't, I didn't realise this, but he was actually selected in the United squad for the final game of the ninety nine two thousand season. But because of Premier League, Premier League rules about players on schoolboy contracts appearing at senior level, the plan to debut him was delayed. Okay, no, I didn't know that. He didn't make his first team debut until uh, two thousand three, about three years. Um, after the initial plan, and the early parts of his career were, were were overshadowed somewhat by Roy Keane's infamous rant, where he reportedly stated, "I can't understand why people in Scotland rave about Darren Fletcher." Now, Roy Keane has tried has walked that back and said that that's that's nonsense. I've I've always praised Fletcher, but it's always been reported that that's one of the memorable things that he said in this in this rant, which has been locked away in the United Vault somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> never to see the light of day. No, never. I thought it would have turned up by now, but someone's done a very good job of hiding that. He was mainly a bench player for a good part of his career. And it's not surprising why, because 06, 07, 07, 08 season, he, he was mostly second fiddle to a midfield quartet of Ronaldo, Scholes, Carrick and Giggs.
0: Yeah, I, I think on, on Fletcher, he... Is a, it's a bit like the O'Shea situation where not a utility player, but he's not a superstar. He just does mm. the simple things, but he does them well. But he, he did always seem to have a knack of making his mark
1: despite lack of appearances. I mean, he, he was the man who scored the goal that ended Chelsea's 40-game unbeaten run.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: important goal. And, and he also scored the two goals against Arsenal in the FA Cup fourth round that, uh, that year. For me personally, how you measure his importance in the team came when in the Champions League semi-final, second leg against Arsenal, May 2009, he was sent off. And the club applied to have that red card rescinded on compassionate grounds. Now, I don't think, I I certainly don't remember, and someone can contact us on uh, social media to tell me if I'm wrong or not. But I don't remember the club doing that for Keane or Scholes. In
0: 99. Yeah. I think I'm I'm trying to remember that, but I think there was something that it was a very, very soft card. But but again, just what you said there, I remember being gutted that he was gonna miss that, that final. So yeah, that just shows you his importance for the club at that time. You know, um,
1: Mourinho, Mourinho at that time
0: stated, and I quote, Fletcher is
1: more important than people think. He eats opponents in defensive transition. And if there's one thing we know that gets Jose's engine running, it's a good defensive transition. (laughs) Yeah. He did become a staple in the team by 2009, 2010. I think he was in the PFA team of the year. But then after that, his, you know, his career was kind of blighted, well, say blighted It, it became known that he had a very serious uh, illness um, in uh, ulcerative colitis. So I, I, I think that he... W- I don't think he's ever going to be remembered as a legend of United, but I do think that he should be rated
0: higher than he is. Yes, I, I think so. I would agree. He's probably not going to be classed as a legend, but I would go a step further. I'd say he's a great player, definitely. It's it's a, a little bit like the O'Shea but I think he was even more important than that. A bit like Park, you were going to give someone that was given the all every single game. And that's all you can ask of a player that plays for your club. On that note, who is your final player? <laughs> so my final player in my underrated list for Manchester United is probably going to be a controversial one.
1: It's not Edwin van der Sar again. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, it's Peter Schmeigel. Only oh, joking. He's played 210 times for the club scored 35 goals 20 assists and it's Jesse Lingard personally I don't think that's controversial I, I think I think it I think it might be controversial on on social media <laughs> and I'll tell you I'll tell you why so before everyone this might be the 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 podcast or the or the part that gets people giving us awful abuse on social media just because I've named Jesse Lingard as as an underrated Manchester United <laughs> player but where I'm where I'm coming from with this I just think he's an easy target due to his his character the celebrations you know he does his dancing you know his clothing line things that are outside of football I just think he's a very easy target so I looked into a little bit more detail into his stats and. He scored a goal scores a goal every 3.8 games and a goal or assist every 2.43 games. So Jesse Lingard, I think people class him as an attacking midfielder. For me, he's been played more as a as a winger. So I had a look at a couple of other players. So you mentioned him in the first podcast, but Lee Sharp, I think a very good united player, remembered fondly. He scored a goal every five point six one games. And a goal or assist every 2.75 games. So Jesse would be more prolific than, than Lee Sharp. And Lee Sharp is fondly remembered. Nanny scored a goal every 4.25 games and an assist every one, a goal or assist every 1.53 games. So again, might have been a little bit more assist from Nanny, but Jesse's scoring more goals. And this one here, I thought was quite interesting on our WhatsApp group. Um, I remember one of the the guys. I can't remember who it was. Had mentioned you know we should use um, Jesse as a as a, a a trading player to get Jack Grealish from Aston Villa. So I looked at Jack Grealish's stats. He's played two hundred nine appearances for Aston Villa. Almost half of those were in the Championship. He scores a goal every five point two five games and an assist every two point two four games. So Jesse Lingard is more prolific in front of goal, and the assists are fairly similar. So I'm thinking, why would you spend so much money on a player when you have one that's there? Now, before everyone contacts me and sort of starts saying, what are you talking about? That's absolute rubbish. That's just statistics. If you want to look at it from a purely point of view of, I just think everyone has an opinion of Jesse Lingard that that isn't correct. He's a player who cost us nothing, came up from the youth ranks. His wages probably aren't that much. He's a great squad player. He is United through and through. Mm-hmm. As we see now in his early days at West Ham, he's starting to fall back in love with football. He's playing well, he's assisting, he's scoring goals. If that player came back to Manchester United in that that same vein of form, why would you spend big money on a player elsewhere to do that when you have one right there at your club? I agree wholeheartedly. I I, I do dismay at some of the
1: comments that, um, that are thrown at Jesse Lingard's direction. What, what always irritates me is that when people say, I don't rate him, it's like, okay, what do you not rate? And the reply usually comes back, I just never have. But what does that mean? What, what exactly does that mean? If you can tell me that he hasn't scored enough goals... OK, but I can point to you reasons as to why he hasn't provided enough assists. Well, you know, again, I can point to you reasons as to why that could be.
0: Well, that, that's one thing I was, going to, I was going to mention there. You know, he's, he's 28. He 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 signed a pro contract with United the 2011-2012 season, but he went out on loan. He went to Leicester, Birmingham, Brighton and Derby. It was really the 14-15 the season where he played for, for United regularly, but then he went on loan again in um, February fifteen, so he, he, there is an element where he, and it's not an excuse. He he was started at the club after Fergie left. Really, maybe if, if Fergie had been the manager, mm. it may have been slightly different. But he he he's not. He wasn't really in. What's three different managers? It's hard for a young player to. Find a, a rhythm and find a, a sort of a, a manager that maybe believes in him. I just, I just think, he, 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 especially with United, he, he's been chopped and changed between three different managers and how they want to play. You know, towards the the last few seasons there for United, you know, he he, he had an awful personal situation with his his mum. You know, his mum suffers depression. And he was literally looking after his brother and sister who are twelve and fifteen. You know, that's a lot for anybody to take. Never mind someone who. Is probably getting abuse on the internet for for literally kicking a ball about a pitch. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important.
1: But that's my issue. I don't think he is getting abuse for kicking a ball on the pitch. He's getting abuse because he's Jesse Lingard, and and I don't understand that. P- people criticising of oh, this clothing line and these you know other things. It's like, well, hold on. If you're in that position and if you you're looking ahead, and I know. Some people who like American football and players who are earning far more than, than most Premier League footballers, but they supplement that huge income with endorsements, advertisements, uh, clothing lines, whatever they can do, because they know that their career is short and that it could end any day. Yeah. And what happens afterwards? Now, to me, it seems like Jesse isn't interested in becoming a coach or becoming a, uh, a manager. So, of course, why not look at other avenues of income? I don't have a problem with that. He's got he's got a family. There's no problem on the pitch. He always tries definitely his best, yeah. and more often than not, his best is more than good enough for
0: United. I think I think there is the um, the, the past few seasons, you know, it, it just wasn't clicking for him. And that's fair. I I can take that. And I that's where I can sort of say, you know what, he does need to up that a bit. But that being said, Jesse Lingard has never proclaimed he's the best player in the world. No. He's not the best player in the world. He is a for me a great squad player. If he want, if if he wanted to leave because he wasn't going to get game time, Folly said, Look, this is what you're going to do. I think you're a squad player. You're going to play X, Y, and Z. We're going to rotate. We need to have a big squad because we want to challenge on all fronts. And he said, no, I don't want that. He can move on. That's fine. But for me... If he stayed as a squad player, I would be more than happy. I
1: I I buy into that completely. I, I, I'll just say this as a final point about Jesse. You know, uh, all season we've had the the ongoing saga, narrative-wise, of Donny van de Beek. And when Donny's come onto the pitch, you know, the, the narrative is that he's that he hasn't he's not producing what he produced at Ajax. Well, of course he's not producing what he produced at Ajax. It's a different league. It's a different country. It's a different manager, a different system, and he's playing in a different position. And he's playing in a different position. Yeah, exactly. And he's again. I, I know certainly now um, at my at my tender young age of thirty nine and having had three mental breakdowns in <laughs> so many years, um, I, I know I, I know how. Certainly, my perception of what is going through a player's mind has certainly altered. And with Donny Van Der Beek. I think people have to remember he's now living in a different country. He's a young man, a really different surroundings. It's going to take him time. But people clamoring and getting on at Ollie for not using him or not putting him on the pitch for long enough, blah, 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 blah but when he has come on the pitch he hasn't exactly been scintillating i will be fair now we keep saying how Bruno Fernandes needs rest and then you see what Jesse Lingard's doing at West Ham he's not the same player as Bruno Fernandes no one's going to claim that but with his energy with his pace link-up play you know there's a squad player that we could we could have had stay at United and I don't think anyone would begrudge me saying that if Lingard on that form was still at United then he would certainly be getting on the pitch ahead of Donny van Der Beek and I think that, that's that's going to be my last point on Jesse yeah no i, I,
0: I I do, I do, I would agree with you on that, but I do think the loan, because his form at the time where the loan was an option, it just wasn't, it just was, he was just not in good form. So I do think this, this loan is probably the best thing for Jesse right now in his career. Assess things at the end of the season. And I hope he stays at United. I really do. I'll be on the same boat. And funny
1: enough, we're talking about Jesse, and and you've actually mentioned my my last pick, and this was a man who I have to admit I did not appreciate this man throughout his entire United career until until he left. Didn't appreciate him, and this this also links into something that irked me uh, after our European game last week, last Thursday against Real Sociedad. But two hundred thirty nine, two hundred thirty, sorry, appearances for the club, forty one goals, seventy three assists. 15 yellows, three straight reds, one of which being against Real Madrid, which I totally disagreed with at the time. But yeah, Nani. Nani is my my final pick. I don't think he's appreciated um, or rated anywhere near as highly as he should be. And I will explain my reasons why. Because, I mean, we signed him for 20 million, uh, about 20 million, I think, in 2007. And I remember his first season for the club, he scored and provided assists in a number of key games. The standout for me being uh, a man of the match display against Arsenal in the FA Cup fourth round, where he scored one goal and two assists. And he had, an, and he had the infamous altercation with uh, William Gallus, which resulted in both. Arsene Wenger and Gilberto Silva saying after the game that Nani had a big head. and, you know, and I've always remember I've always remembered that and thought, go on. And the funny thing is, <laughs> when I was doing the research on this, and I was, t- you know, because I was I didn't type out all the players uh, at the same time because I was still figuring out who I was going to pick. Finally, but every single one of my picks had a had a, had a standout game against Arsenal. So
0: I know, make of that a, uh, what you will.
1: He ended that 0708 season coming on as a sub for Rooney in the Champions League final. And then, of course, 2009, we sold Ronaldo. And this is where I think everything changed for Nani, because the perception of him was always, well, he's the one who's going to be, he's, he's replacing Ronaldo. And I think everyone expected him not just to replace Ronaldo, but to be Ronaldo. Yeah, and I think I think it's an issue that all fans, no matter your club, no matter your creed, we all suffer from this. We have this strange affliction where we say, well, player X has to be as good as player Y. And if he's not as good, why isn't he as good? Is it his attitude? Is it something else?
0: Yeah, you're you're sort of saying there he's Portuguese, so he's obviously going to be the exact same as Ronaldo because it was the
1: the parallels both came from Sporting um yeah you know both young as you say portuguese players both played as uh, on the wing forward players but i i mean i know i've been guilty of it in the past when i was younger certainly when i compared every goalkeeper we had until Van der Sar to Peter Schmeichel um and it, it's silly uh, cuz i think about it you know Nanny, when i look back i remember he had a blistering couple of seasons for us in the season in the in that 09 10 season. He didn't start off the best. It was it it even got to the point where he himself even even went out of his way to criticise Sir Alex Ferguson for not believing in him. That's a brave, brave player. That's the thing. That's a brave thing to do. But I think that's also a sign of how much pressure was was heaped on him, not just from fans, but by himself as well. In what is only his third season with the club, he made 34 appearances that season and scored seven in all competitions that year. So, you know, and when you consider that Ronaldo, the previous year, had scored something like 40-odd goals, he must have felt under a lot of pressure.
0: Yeah, definitely must have... He must have felt the pressure, which obviously is is not gonna help him in any way, shape, or form. No. But then I think what people forget is the 2010
1: eleven season. The end of that season, he was nominated for the PFA Young Player of the Year Award. And that nomination brought along a criticism, not of him, but of the fact that he wasn't also nominated for the main player of the year award. Now he lost he lost out to that uh that award to Jack Wilshire. Um he was named in the PFA Team of the Year, and then he ended up winning the Players Player of the Year. That's I think people forget about that. And then the next year he was shortlisted. He was, and and again, I, I actually forgot about this. In the next season, in the, he was nominated, or not nominated, he was shortlisted, rather, for the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> I completely forgot that, actually. Exactly. That's the thing. I forgot about it. Now, sadly, in, in 2012-13 season, saw a huge decrease in his form, um, partly because of, of, I think, mostly because of injury. He only played 11 times in that, uh, in that season, and the only thing people remember about that season is that red card against Real Madrid. In the semi final second leg, where we were 1 0 up and then Nanny got sent off. And I remember that game. I remember watching it with my dad, and both of us were apoplectic yeah, saying, That's not a
0: red card, it's a yellow. I was, I know at the time it was just absolutely shocking because, because the two the two things I remember from that were uh, Alex Ferguson getting up and running down the steps, slight bleeping, I think, by the, uh, the television uh, producers. <laughs> And then Roy <laughs> Keane being Roy Keane saying it's a red card. He's d- endangering the player. I mean, endangering the player, flimsy. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: uh, I mean, I, I I think his career, I mean, his, the end of his career obviously wasn't a happy one because, yeah. again, injuries had completely blighted him and he fought he fought against his fitness issues and, and form until we ended up loaning him back to sporting in August 2014. There was very little fanfare, very little, there, there was certainly no tears. There was no, don't cry for me, Old Trafford moments going on amongst the fan base. I, I know I yeah. certainly didn't appreciate him in the years that we had him.
0: I'll definitely agree with you on that because I I think, I think what you would find my opinion of him was he's a, the understudy to Ronaldo, which you're right. I'm, I'm guilty. Like, like, like you mentioned there of, you know, he should be the same sort of player. He wasn't, you know, as we can see, Ronaldo changed his game from being a winger to being an absolute beast assassin striker they were two completely different players but you know when you do look back you know at his at his career for united he scored some absolute stonking goals too
1: really did as i said at the start something irked me last week after the real Sociedad dad game and um and i really gravitated on nanny because and again it it is as i mean you know i've as, I, as i've mentioned i've had three breakdowns since 2017 and i'm you know still recovering from that. But it's definitely given me a, a clearer perspective on what what we as fans should be doing more of, which is we should appreciate the players that we have for being the best version of themselves. You know, I mean, I, I remember poor, poor Liam Miller was hampered from the day he signed at United by being called the next Roy Keane. There's never yeah. going to be another Roy Keane. I mean, Christ, if Roy Keane was starting today, he wouldn't be the bloody next Roy Keane because the way the football is. I mean, I mean yeah. and what what it was, it was the um, the nonsense that I saw in reported in one of the rags, <laughs> which was about Rashford, about how Rashford had had a good game, but he, he needs to do better to be as good as Mbappe or Haaland. And it's bollocks, utter bollocks, because we should be... We, but it is. We should be happy. But this young man works very hard in this game, as we keep hearing from training reports that he, he stayed yeah. behind after training with the likes of uh, Bruno and other players. Works hard in his game, and you can see that work every time he's on the pitch. He has been exceptional at United, and he's been exceptional at United not because he's going to be the next he's, go- he's going to be the next Ronaldo, or he's going to be the next Giggs, or he's going to be competing with Mbappé and Haaland for the world's best fucking Tonka toy. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he's the best. It's because he's the best version of Rashford that he is at this present time and he's only going to get better being Marcus Rashford and that, should, and that should be enough and it should be enough for scores of other players. Yeah. So that's our unrated players list. I would love to know what other people think of it. I would love to know what players we may have forgotten. Um, I know somebody, Matty, on Facebook, he mentioned both Michael Carrick and, and one of my picks, Fletcher, as underrated players.
0: Yes, and also on Facebook... Uh, Stephen McIntosh he mentioned Phil Neville and he also mentioned John O'Shea, they both played in nearly every position going, I remember O'Shea even had a go on nets <laughs> well no, that was a great episode um, I really really thoroughly enjoyed that um, definitely one of the best discussions we've, we've had even before this podcast so turning our attention to next week, yes, what's next week's challenge? What about our first Old Trafford experience
1: yeah i can i can do that i would need i would actually need to ask my father about that because i i was thinking that you might ask me this and for the life of me i couldn't remember who it was i remember being there i remember staying where we stayed but for the life of me i can't remember um who it was against so i'm gonna have to ask my father about that
0: yeah so what we'll do is we'll 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 piece together our you know from everything so how the day started getting there because obviously, you know, us being in, living in Northern Ireland, our experience is, is different for people who obviously over in England, it's, it's a, it's a longer journey for us. And um, I think that would be, yeah. that would be great sort of a walk down memory. It would, be, it
1: would be lovely. And I think it would be lovely if uh, some of our listeners, if they've made it past um, the Edwin van pick of yours, um, if, <laughs> 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 um underrated yeah sure Chris haven't sure. turned Chris, off in you know. utter disgust <laughs> or you know well if they if, if they if they've stuck with us for Jesse Lingard then they'll be fine um but I I, <laughs> um, I would like I would like some I would like some of our listeners to you know share us your experiences of of old Trafford what what do you remember what's changed since uh, since your first time at old Trafford that is um and and do get in That's touch a different about podcast. players. You know, well, it's 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 the secret podcast that we're that we're both working on the the very blue one that <laughs> can only be uh, listened by
0: X-rated people. So thank you, Graham, for taking part in the podcast again this week. Uh, very enjoyable. Um, before we go, again, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened to the podcast so far. Uh, really, really. Taken aback by the the number of people who have, have listened and and commented on on the episode, so I really appreciate it. As I said, I'm
1: <laughs> I'm happy that we're over four people. I'm ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.